Dear fellow redeemed, when we see the events of that first Christmas evening, the nativity of our Lord, and we see the baby Jesus progressing through the stages of life and all the neediness that the infant stage entails, it provides for us a beautiful picture and any perhaps simpler picture for us to understand and comprehend. Comprehend who this person is and what he has come to do and how he lives his life. But God doesn't tell us the how of how the Word became flesh. John simply put it there in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And then down there in verse 14, the Word became flesh and tented among us. In that most beautiful of miracles, God who is infinite, without beginning and without end, takes on our human flesh. And it just goes from there. That even today you can say that Jesus Christ, the Son of Mary, is at the same time the Son of God. That you can say he is the Alpha and the Omega without beginning and without end, at the same time as a roughly 2,025-year-old Jewish man. That at the same time, Jesus in his ministry, and in those early days of his childhood, you can say that as God he needed nothing that as God, he doesn't need anything. And at the same time, that Jesus needed to be fed and rocked to sleep and have his diaper changed. That when we look at the person of Jesus, whether in your mind's eye or in Luke chapter 2 of Jesus in the manger, and then a little bit later, the purification at the temple and um, and. Um, Anna and Nicodemus, not Nicodemus, Simeon, <laughs> Jesus at the temple, and then a little bit later in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus visits the temple when he is 12 years old. It provides for us a wonderful picture to understand who this person is. And it's simple enough that we can say these truths in the Apostles' Creed and not give it a second thought. We just recognize that this is the truth of God's Word that the Word became flesh and he tented among us. But what we need to see is that in this person, in this infant, this person Jesus, who would receive that name Jesus on the eighth day after his birth, in this person Jesus, we've got the eternal Son of God, as well as the time-bound Son of Mary. Without mixing the human nature and the divine nature so that they are somehow some new creature. No, each one, the human and the divine, contributing what is unique to humanity or divinity. And so as human, Jesus was born. He has the capacity to die, and he is under God's law. But also, at the same time, being the Son of God, He fulfills that law perfectly, and his life has infinite value, each one contributing what is unique to that nature in this one person, Jesus Christ. And during the time of his life on earth, he never gave up 
any of his power or authority. He never stopped being God. He never, um, he never refrained from, well, he never, yeah, he never gave up any of the things that God does. So even while he was um, nursing there or rocking there or playing in the streets of Nazareth, at the same time, he was the one before whom saints and angels bow, before whom demons and Satan run screaming. He was the one in whom all things hold together. That even as he learned to walk and, and talk and crawl, at the same time, at the same time, he is the one who was making sure that the entire world kept doing all the things exactly as he designed it, as infinite God, making sure that all the laws of nature as he set up continued to be executed exactly as he designed them. And that provides for us a glimpse at the next element, that in this person of Jesus, we have Jesus both fully man, with rational soul and human flesh, as we can confess in the Athanasian Creed, and we have true God. And he didn't give up any of the power and glory that he has as God, but he did refrain from using it for a while. He did, basically, the way I describe it is, hide the fact that he was God for a while. So that um, when he came there and when he was born there at, uh, at Bethlehem and the shepherds came to see him or later on the Magi came to worship him, they were able to stand in his presence because he hid his glory. Because even if that little squirming bundle of joy had revealed his glory, then they would have fallen down in terror. And rightfully so because they should have taken off their sandals like Moses because the place where they were standing is holy ground. But he hid the fact that he was God so that he would experience human life exactly to the full. He would experience human life just as you or I. He would experience human life in a way where he submitted to God's will. That's what the writer to the Hebrews says in, uh, in verse 10 and a little bit later in verse 14. This is on page 3 in your bulletin today. Uh, certainly, it was fitting for God, the one for whom and through whom every, everything exists, in leading many sons to glory, to bring the author of their salvation to his goal through suffering. The writer to the Hebrews is saying that it, is, it was part of God's plan of salvation to give you salvation and forgiveness, and to accomplish that, by allowing and sending his own son to suffer. It was part of God's plan of salvation that the one through whom the entire world was created would be the one who would submit to God's will and suffer. And we see that exactly what Jesus does. That is what Jesus does as he submits to his Father's will and he goes through all the everyday suffering of everyday life, perhaps the loss of, of a grandparent or a loved one or his stepfather Joseph. We see the suffering especially poignantly during his ministry when he is rejected and when he is eventually laid at the cross 
and he allows himself to be crucified. That's all part of what we call his humiliation. There's the big word for today. Humiliation. We don't mean that Jesus was embarrassed. But what we mean is exactly this, that Jesus refrained from using his power and glory for a time. That he refrained from using his power and glory for a time. And that's exactly um, even what we see in the Apostles' Creed. That that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. That he allows himself to undergo this suffering, and he becomes human, just like you and me, and he refrains from using his divine power for his own benefit, so that he experiences the full amount of suffering that God had in mind for him to experience. Therefore. Verse 14, since the children share flesh and blood, he also shared the same flesh and blood, so that, those, so that through death he could destroy the one who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. That Jesus refrained from using his own divine power, glory, and honor for his own good, that Jesus refrained from using his own divine power, glory, and honor for his own good so that he would be able to suffer and die. So that he would experience the full weight of sin and the full weight of God's wrath against sin for you and for me. Now, this characterized his life from the moment he became human all the way through being buried in the tomb that this child of Mary and son of God for a time refrained from using his divine power, glory, and honor. Every now and then he gave little glimpses like in the feeding of the 5,000 or the Mount of Transfiguration. He gave little glimpses of what he is able to do like when the people of Nazareth wanted to throw him off the brow of the hill and he walked through the crowd. He gave little glimpses when the demon-possessed came before him saying, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But he was interested in suffering for you and for me. And so he chose to rather extend his kingdom, not through, not through shows of power, but through the preaching of his word. He chose to extend his kingdom in humiliation by not coming to impress and command, but through the gospel that we see in John chapter 1, through the gospel message that he came to proclaim and to forgive and to call. To call us to follow this one who would lay down his life, experiencing every bit of sorrow that this human life in a sinful world has to offer, experiencing every bit of pain that you or I have ever felt, gathered up and held in his nail-scarred hands so that you can know you have a brother in Jesus. Surely it is not angels he helps, but the sons of Abraham. He shares the same flesh and blood, so that he would destroy the one who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and by his death free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. That you and I recognize 
that death itself is the natural result of sin, of God's, of God's punishment for sin. And yet, in his death, as the Son of God and the Son of Man in one person, without mixing the two natures, by his death, Jesus has set you free. And he didn't do so as some outside observer to the pain that you feel. He did so by walking a mile in your shoes, by walking a lifetime in your shoes. When he laid down his life for you, he did so carrying not just the sorrows that he had experienced, but your sorrows as well. He did so not carrying sin of his own because he didn't have any, but carrying yours and mine as both God and man in this one person, hiding the fact that he is God, so that even as the, the prophet spoke, and as Cameron wonderfully read for us today, verse 6, I submitted my back to those who beat me, and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from disgrace and from spit. The Lord will help me, so I will not be disgraced. And you see that vivid, vivid imagery of Jesus refraining from using his power and glory for his own benefit, of submitting himself to his Father's will, and even there at the cross, dying as one who was born under law, and yet as one who kept that law perfectly, and as one whose death has infinite value, because it's the death of God. And that gets us to, I guess, the, the second aspect of Jesus' life, the counterpart to humiliation. If that humiliation is the purposeful non-use or the refraining from using his divine power, glory, and honor, then his exaltation is the reverse of that, that he, again, makes full and frequent use of his divine power, glory, and honor. And this divides up beautifully in the, um, in the Apostles' Creed. If you're following along, and maybe sometimes it makes a little bit more sense um, by seeing it pictured for us. And I should have adjusted the grammar in this. <laughs> Hopefully they did in the new hymnal. Um, the humiliation, that non-use of his divine power, glory, and honor. That he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Period. The exaltation, when he again makes full and frequent use of his divine power, glory, and honor. He descended into hell, should be a comma. <laughs> the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. That Jesus, the Son of Mary and Son of God, chooses to exercise his power still today and for all eternity. And he does so for the benefit of his church, his people. He does so as one who, who suffered, who laid aside the use or refrained from using his power for himself. But since that resurrection, since he became alive again in the tomb, he took it up again. He again made full and frequent use of his divine power, glory, and honor, and he wasn't hiding the fact that he's God. Now he brags about the fact that he's God. And we have a God worth bragging about. 
Now, we have a God who the very first thing he did after he became alive again on Easter Sunday morning, the very first thing he did was to descend to the prison of hell and proclaim to the prisoners there, including Satan himself, to proclaim the exact same thing that we proclaim here today. That because Jesus has risen from the dead, sin is forgiven, and your hope is not misplaced. That we have a God worth bragging about. And after he descended into hell, he again appeared to his followers on earth, proclaiming the exact same thing, that we have a God worth bragging about, that this Son of God and Son of Mary, who hid his divine power, glory, and honor, who hid his glory for a while, he now reveals his glory where he chooses to be found. He now reveals his glory through his word, exactly as he said. He now reveals his glory, and as the Apostles' Creed goes on, you will see that glory visibly one day when he returns to judge the living and the dead, when he returns in power, and everyone will see Jesus in his exalted state, his state of exaltation, making full and frequent use of his divine power, glory, and honor for the good of his people. And that's the Jesus we worship today the one who hid his glory there at the manger, who hid his glory there at the cross, who suffered every bit of suffering that this world and this life has to offer, who carried every bit of sorrow and heartache that you have ever experienced, and that this same Jesus makes himself present today, hiding his glory so that like the the shepherds and the wise men of old, You can hold him. That Jesus comes here. That we have come not to the stable of Bethlehem and not to simply sit around and contemplate what that night was like. That night when the angels sang from heaven and the shepherds came to visit. That we have come here to receive the same Jesus who again hides his power, glory, and honor so that his people can receive him at the same time. His people that, that receive a God worth bragging about, who gives to you his own body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, where he allowed himself to be killed, and yet, and yet, he allowed himself to be crucified, and he laid down his life, and yet that life counts for you and me and all people. Because he is true God and true man. Because we have a brother. He says, verse 12, I will declare your name to my brothers. Within the congregation, I will sing your praise. And then again in verse uh, 17, For this reason, Jesus had to become like his brothers in every way, in order that he would be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God. And verse 18, Because he suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That Jesus isn't simply a far-off God who doesn't know what it's like in this world and who simply says, well, here's a list of things to do and here's a list of attitudes to have and and good luck. (laughs) No. He was made man. And he still is. That this year we celebrate, you know, approximately his 2025th birthday at the same time as the, the fact that he is the eternal word, the eternal son of God. And we celebrate this because he is 
the one who has walked a lifetime in your shoes, who has picked up your own heartache, and yes, picked up your sin, and who now gives you your forgiveness again, in the exact same way that he gave forgiveness during his own public ministry. He does so through the ministry here, in a way that, that you can taste and touch and hold and approach. That, yes, the place where we are standing and will be standing is holy ground, because our Lord has come to us. Amen.